But I want us to know that the Lord desires to be in the midst of his people. He's not a God who's far off. And he's not a God that desires to be far off. He's not like uh, other gods, so-called gods, other gods that are worshipped, other gods that we know about and hear about and, and, you know, read books or seen in movies or so forth that other people worship. He's a God, God that desires to be right in the midst of his people. And his whole plan, his entire purpose and plan in redeeming sinful men unto himself is that those men would be with him and he would be with them eternally. Okay, uh, and now, in other words, the, the Lord wants to be in our midst and us to be with him through this earthly life and this earthly tabernacle, Peter calls it, and as long as we're in this fleshly body and to be eternally with the Lord forever in heaven, in his home that he has prepared for us. The Lord says, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going, to, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. That is a thought. It's through this life. Think about it. The Lord never wants men to be separated from him. Men, even men that are lost in sin, he wants to redeem them, which we're going to talk more about. But those that are saved and washed in the blood of Jesus, he wants us to be with him and him with us through this life when he raptures his church if we're still living on this earth uh, into into heaven the bible says so shall we ever be with the lord coming back with the lord we'll be with him riding on a horse as he comes to reign and his, his kingdom uh, dwelling with him in new jerusalem everything is to be with him that the redeemed sinner is born again, the saint of God, the child of God now is to be with the Lord. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And I think oftentimes we get so uh, caught up in, in, in maybe the big, big theological truths about sin and death and hell and, and all these things that we forget the purpose of it all. Why was there a cross? Why was there a Son of God, the Word becoming flesh? Why did all that take place? Why was there a resurrection? It was that men could be reconciled to God. It's it's that because why does He want men to be reconciled to God? Because He loves us. He wants to be with us. That really is an amazing thing that Christ comes. Think about this. Where does He come? When, When somebody says, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. And it says, check, got it, you believed, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He, he comes to dwell, to live in the heart of that per- person, right? That is an amazing thing. The uncreated God comes to reside in the heart of the one that He's redeemed. That repentant sinner, that believing, repentant sinner. He's come to live in that life and in that heart and to actually reside in the life of the new creature. And so He makes us new, and He comes and sets up shop, so to speak, and lives in our hearts and lives forever. And He says nothing will separate us from the Lord. Our God desires to dwell and be exalted, I would say, prominently among His people. In other words, we're here today gathered in the name of the Lord that He desires to be conspicuous. He desires to be noticed. 
He desires to be honored here. He desires to do, dwell uh, prominently and permanently in an exalted manner, preeminently is a good word, in the midst of his people. He desires to dwell powerfully in the midst of his people and to bring peace to his people. He says, peace, I, I say unto you, right? And he told his disciples that the day of his resurrection. He desires to dwell in his people, and he does. Those that he saved, he desires to dwell among his people when we're gathered together in his name. He desires to dwell uh, preeminently within his church body. He does, you could say, but he desires to be that for us to take note of that. He desires, uh, the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. I know we quote that a lot when we're having our praise and worship time, but think about it for just a moment. It doesn't just say that he's pleased with our praises, which I think he is. Genuine praise from the heart and thanksgiving and adoration of the Lord. But it, the Bible uses in Hebrews the, the word, he inhabits the praises of his people. There again, it's just showing how he wants to be right in the midst of us in our worship in our lives, in our hearts, when we're by ourselves as believers or we're gathered with other believers. Not, not a stranger on the outside looking in, trying to get in. But we have opened our hearts to the Lord. We have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have believed this gospel. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. But in that salvation, He comes to dwell in us. He comes to be with us. And He's not an outsider any longer, nor does He desire to be an outsider, but right in the midst, uh, in the hearts of His sons and daughters and those who He has redeemed. We see this all the way back. The first man and woman ever created. We understand Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We read about it in Genesis. Then He planted them in the midst of the garden. And the Bible says that in the, the cool of the day, God Almighty would come down and fellowship with Adam in the garden. He would walk with him. He would talk with him. Again, he's not just, we're worshiping the sun, we're worshiping the moon, we're worshiping the wind, you know, or some God that we hear about that's way off over there. He's not a God that's far off, nor does he desire to be a God that's far off. He has come down to men through Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible says that Enoch walked with the Lord and he was not for the Lord took him, right? He walked with the Lord. So that means the Lord walked with him and they were walking together and there was a fellowship there. And I just want to read a couple of scriptures. I'll tell you where they're coming from, but uh, I'm just going to read them for time's sake rather quickly. But in John chapter 19, 18, it says where, where Jesus, when Jesus was crucified on Calvary, it says where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. Have you ever thought about that? Why was he crucified? Why was he crucified with two other people? Why was he crucified in the midst, it says, or in the middle of two other sinful people? He's the Holy Lamb of God. He's the Son of God who never committed a sin, certainly not a crime to be uh, you know, capital punishment and to be crucified for. And yet it says they crucified him and two other with him on the either side, one and Jesus in the midst. I think it's significant even there Amen. showing that he's dying with men. 
they had nothing to do with his plan of redemption in the sense of he, he, he's the Savior alone. But just the point that he chose to die with two common thieves. One believed and one didn't. But that's mankind, right? Some believe and some don't. But he identified himself with them. Wherefore, he's not ashamed to be called our God. Those that believe in him, we trust in him. We put our, our lives in, in, into his hands. Listen to this from Hebrews 2.14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. What is that saying? Again, we just sometimes take these things for granted, okay? That Jesus came and died on the cross. But in order to come and die on the cross, he had to become a man. The Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt where? Among us. He was rubbing elbows, so to speak, with people. He was on crowded streets with people, with harlots and publicans and, and arrogant, lost you know, religious leaders and Romans and governors that worshipped idols and de false deities and just the poor people and the rich people and the young and the old and said, suffer the little children to come unto me. And he's touching people that have leprosy and touching people with blinded eyes and people that would be outcasts and so forth. He wasn't just even hiding out in some desert place. He was a carpenter and worked with his father. You know what I mean? He was in the temple with the priest when he was 12 years old. He, he was riding on a donkey and, and receiving adoration soon before his crucifixion. He was with people. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Again, he's not just this big booming voice that speaks out of nowhere and people are like, what was that? I'm God. You know, he, he spoke in times past by the prophets. He spoke on the holy mountain in Moses' day and thundered, but he revealed himself to Moses. Uh, but he, the word became flesh and he showed himself so clearly to men and dwelt among men. There is something significant about our God in his heart in his desire that we see in this, that just listen to this from, from Revelation chapter 2, 1. I'll read a few verses from Revelation. This is the Lord dealing with the, the churches. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Where is the Lord seen? The seven candlesticks represent the seven churches. We've done that in Sunday school. We've studied it. And it says the Lord, that thus saith the Lord who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Another scripture in Revelation, and I beheld, John says, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders. The elders represent, I believe, Old Testament and New Testament saints. Those that are redeemed by the Lord. In the midst of the elders and the angels and the angelic beasts that are up there, in the midst of the throne stood a lamb as it had been slain. What was the center of it all? All the redeemed of all the ages are kind of represented by those 24 elders that cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus when they worship. And in the midst of it all is the Lord, stood a lamb. Stood a lamb. He's there. For the Lamb, another scripture in the Revelation, for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them. 
This is speaking about tribulation martyrs that suffered in this life for a time for the cause of Christ and for their testimony. And they're redeemed unto the Lord. And it's a special blessing for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them into, unto fountains of living water and shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. We see the Lord hands on. We see the Lord in the midst. We see the Lord in the hearts of believers and those that He has redeemed and desiring to be and those that He hasn't redeemed. Okay? Let's turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're going to read two scriptures here. Verses 18 and verse 23. John 14, 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Again, he is a promise from the Lord. This is soon before His crucifixion, right? He's foretold about the coming of the Holy Spirit. When I go to the Father, I'll send Him. Okay? I'm going to depart uh, in the way, you know, where I'm going, you know, in the way you know. That's all in this chapter. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And He says, I'm, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. So what's going to be the comfort? You're going to give us a lot of wealth and riches. You're going to give us this big bubble of protection so that people can't kill us. What is going to be the comfort? I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And that right there is the comfort. That right there is the promise. He's coming in the person of the Holy Spirit, but I am going to come to you. In verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Listen to this promise. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. It doesn't just say we'll come and sprinkle some, you know, dust of blessings upon your life, which we are blessed as believers. But he says, if a man loves me, he'll keep my words or my commandments. And I will, my Father will love him, and I'll love him, and we will come and make our abode that's not abode is, is a permanent like residency, a habitation, as opposed to a tabernacle where where they pick it up and move it. OK, a temporary dwelling place It's a dwelling place as well. But the Lord says, I, the father and I will come unto him and make our abode with him, with the simplest, what we call the simplest of saints, with the, the, the newest believer with the little child who just knows enough to believe the gospel and cry out to Jesus by faith. My Father and I will love Him and we will come and make our abode with Him, our dwelling place with Him. Men are reconciled unto God, unto Almighty God, by the blood of the Lamb. And so it's not just a forgiveness, it's a reconciliation. Just listen to this scripture from 2 Corinthians 5.19. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. God was in Christ. This is the Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.19 Reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And so, um, the word reconcile, in, in a verb sense, an action word, what does it mean? It means to compound a difference. Like if you're a chemist and you're making a compound, okay? Chemical compound or something. It's to take two and to make them one. A perfect mixture and blend where it's this new thing now. 
it's not just uh, fragmented. You can't quite get it to blend all the way. It's to reconcile. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. That means to compound, compound a difference. And y'all, this has always been God's heart. It has always been God's heart. We talk about it sometimes. That the God of the Old Testament is not a different God of the New Testament. The, the New Testament is the Old Testament fulfilled. Okay? We see the fulfillment of it in Christ and in the cross and in the resurrection and in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But it was all the same God throughout. It's always been His heart. When Adam and Eve sinned, there was a promise of a provision made. We talk about that. The Lord said that the, God's going to send the, the seed of the woman that's going to crush the serpent's head. A Savior was promised. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so that's always been God's heart. It was all foreshadowed or typified, you would say, in, in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, in the altar, in the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant where the wings of the cherubim, the Lord says, there will I meet with you. And at the altar and the sacrifice and the priesthood and the, and the, and the, the feast and the, all the different things that were done. It was all typified and foreshadowed in the Old Testament, but perfectly fulfilled and manifest in the person of Christ in His sinless life and His, his, uh, his sinless death and His resurrection. It was all perfectly fulfilled in Christ at His first coming. God's desire in His heart is for man to be reconciled unto Him. And He, he made a provision. The provision is His Son. A body He has prepared. No more blood of bulls and goats. And I know I'm kind of all over the place, but the point of this is that God's gone to great lengths through the, the prophecies and through Israel and so forth to bring the Savior. And through the Savior and through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus, so through the Gospel and the Word of God, to not just save men so He has... They're not going to hell. They're going to heaven. We see that it's all about God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. It's very personal with the Lord. God so loved the world, that's big, that He gave His only begotten Son. But it's also very personal. You must be born again. God loves you. You understand what I'm saying? And, and He wants you to be part of His family. The sons of God, the daughters of God, the children of God and reconciling men unto Himself. Because sin had separated. That's the only thing that separates a man from God. We, we know that. The Scripture tells us that. It's, there's no physical distance. There's no poverty or wealth or age or race or where you go on the, on the earth or in the bottom of the sea or wherever you've astronaut out in space. There's nothing that separates a man from God but sin. Sin does separate a man from God. And so there has to be a reconciliation. There has to be a compounding of a difference. Uh, there are two parties that are estranged. That's what that means. They're estranged. They're separated. And what's going to bridge the gap? Not physically just say, okay, shake and make up. Okay? No, there's a real difference here. There's something that has to be fixed. Shaking hands isn't going to do it. Uh, there is a holy God and there's sinful man. We're sinners by nature. 
And we're sinners because we've all committed sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Ephesians said we were by nature children of wrath. Okay, it was our sin nature being a descendant of Adam. As in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. There has to be a reconciliation. There's something significant, life-changing, life-altering that has to take place for a sinful man and a holy God to have any kind of relationship. Much less to be called a son or a daughter or the people of God or a brother of Christ or to reign and rule with Christ in His kingdom. There has to be something significant. Well, something significant. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and died on the cross and He reconciled two estranged parties. God was in Christ like He was in no other man. You can say the Holy Spirit came upon Samuel or Saul or one of the Old Testament uh, you know, saints and so forth. But unlike any other, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. That is God's heart and that is His provision. Men who are created in the image of a holy God fallen into sin. We have been marred by sin. Okay, Picture a, a vessel that the potter made. He's the potter with the clay, right? He makes a vessel and when He makes it, it's good. But, but sin has marred it. Sin in your life and my life and lost people out there and people through the ages since Adam and Eve sinned. Sin has marred our lives. There's something uh, marred and tainted and polluted and wrong. And the wages of that sin is death. And it, that sin has barred us. And it marred us and I thought it barred us from heaven. The door's barred. The door's closed to heaven. And we cannot get there, not by works of righteousness which we have done, not by telling God that we'll pay Him back, not by God telling God that we're sorry a thousand times, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been made nigh, that we read it earlier, by the you who are sometimes were far off. Not far off physically, far off morally, spiritually, life and death, okay? Holiness and unholiness. We who sometimes were far off, that gap has been bridged by Calvary. And the one who died on Calvary been made nigh by the blood of Jesus. His desire is to reconcile men. What's the purpose in the cross? The purpose in salvation. It's not just to say, okay, they're saved, they're lost. And I'll go on about my business as God. You saved people, stay over here. And you lost people, stay over here. He's going to dwell in our midst. He wants to be with us. He wants to be with us in church today. He wants to be with you when you wake up. He wants to be in the midst of your marriage and your family altar time and prayer time. And you're estranged and things are different and not going well. The way it's going to be reconciled in a relationship is going to be the Lord bringing it together and making it what it's going to be. We're not going to have peace on this planet. People are all over the place. It's not peace because somebody slams down a gavel and says, I pronounce peace. There's peace when God reconciles and when the Prince of Peace comes to reign. There will not be peace one day or one second before that. Not on this whole planet. But you can have peace in your heart. You can have peace in your home. You can have peace with your spouse. You can have peace with your children. And whoever you God uses you to win to the Lord, y'all can have peace. And we can have peace in our hearts because of the Prince of Peace. Christ is reconciling the world unto Him through through the forgiveness of sins, okay? And the washing of the blood of Jesus. And so saving men from their sin, but also reconciling men 
in the process unto himself. Again, we've talked about, I've shared this example before, we've talked about, we did a study on, uh, on condemnation versus conviction. It's been over a year, a long time ago. And one of the things I talked about is being justified, okay? We're justified, the Bible says, the sinful man that puts their faith in Jesus sincerely and repents and says, I give my life to Christ. Christ comes and lives in that heart, but He justifies us freely by His grace, the Bible says. And in justification, He doesn't just forgive us. There is forgiveness there, and there's a pardon for sin, but there's more than that. Because I gave the example of a, a governor, a governor, a president. I say a governor can, by the end of his term, he can pardon criminals, right? And they were they were guilty. They were found guilty by a court of law. They're serving their time in prison, uh, and the governor does have the right to pardon certain people that he wants to pardon. It's nothing to do with him being innocent or, or guilty. He can pardon them if he chooses. But let's say there was a guy that was had murdered some people and molested children and raped some women. And he's in Angola, serving life there. And the governor pardons him for whatever reason. I don't know why he would. But he pardons that individual. And they're free now. They're out of prison. I can promise you that governor would not let this man sleep in there, his home. He would not take him in to his family and let him babysit his children. You understand what I'm saying? I pardon you. Maybe there's money involved. Maybe there's a favor involved. I pardon you. You go about your business. I did my deal. I'm through with you. You're free. Okay? God's not like that. He pardons us. He forgives us. But He makes us part of His family. He comes to dwell in us. He calls us His son. He calls us His daughters. He calls us His friends. And He wants to be with us. More than we want to be with Him. And we're guilty as can be. We deserve hell. Everybody in this room deserves hell. We deserve it fully. You stand before the Lord and just say, I'm speechless. I have nothing to say. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And yet the Lord says, I've forgiven you. You put your faith in Jesus. Christ, God's in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. And it's committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. So it's not just a forgiveness and a pardon. It is those things, but it's more. It's a reconciliation because He's a loving God that wants to be with us. We begin to see His heart. And it says, we, see, we know that the Scripture, I'll just paraphrase it the best I can. In Matthew 23, close to where the Lord's going to be crucified. He stands and he's overlooking the city. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that were sent to you. How often would I have gathered you unto myself as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings and you would not. So what is he saying that? How often I wanted to forgive you. How often I wanted to be your king. He wanted to be all those things. But how often I wanted to gather you together. Like a mother, mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You would not. But he wanted to, right? That was his heart. That was his desire. Something that uh, Alberto said, he was opening communion, I think it was last Sunday, and he was just talking about how the tabernacle was pitched in the midst of the Israelites. 
and it, it struck me, and I began to, to think about this. And I looked it up. I've got this book, and it uh, it has these grand these these graphs and charts, and it shows the tabernacle and so forth. And I was studying. I looked, and it it shows a picture of the tabernacle and according to the scriptures. You know, on this side were to be three tribes, and I just thought it was interesting. On the north side, you would have Naphtali, Asher, and Dan. So wherever the tabernacle was pitched. The tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel were to pitch and set up their individual tents and homes for however long the tabernacle would be in that location. And on the, the west, you had Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. On the south, you had Gad, Simeon, and Reuben. On the north, you had, uh, I mean, on the east, you had Issachar, Judah, and Zebulon. And I looked at that. Right in the middle of the east side, Issachar, Judah. Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah. And the east gate was the entrance. The east gate is the gate where he's going to enter in. The Messiah enters into the temple. And I just thought, how amazing. He's in the midst of it all. Uh, he wanted that tabernacle. That's where the Lord says, I'll meet with you. And, and he set the to 12 tribes all around. So he'd be as close to all of them as he was to any of them. Okay? The tabernacle being right there. And on the east side, where Messiah would enter, there was Judah. The Lord came from that line of the tribe of Judah. I just thought that was interesting. But it does show His desire. Don't just sit, uh, pitch the tabernacle way up on top of a mountain. And you know, every now and then, I'll call for somebody to come up and see me. He wanted the tabernacle to be in the midst of the 12 tribes. And He situated them to where He was right. And the tabernacle was right in the midst. And so in the, the point of this today, I'm going to be, be bringing this to, to a close and to a head. For us, be careful and take heed. And I would say make, make it a matter of prayer and make it a matter of greatest importance that the Lord actually is in our midst. We know theologically and so forth, you know, and in theory, He comes to dwell in His people. He does. In reality, comes to live in the heart of those he is saved, but are you really saved? Make sure that you know Christ, first of all. Second of all, we need to make sure he's really in our midst. When, when I, in my home, in my church, in my marriage, in my family, that the Lord would be in our, in our prayer meetings. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit makes uh, intercession through us and we don't know how to pray as we ought to. We're going to have a prayer meeting tonight, okay? Uh, at six o'clock. And we're going to come together and pray. Are we going to come together and just pray? Are we going to come together and pray and have the Lord meet with us and empower our prayers with groanings that can't be uttered? You understand what I'm saying? And really meet with us. Or are we just going to be a bunch of people in a room saying things? Because there's a difference. You can be Christians and just come in a room and say things. Or you can be Christians and come together and pray and get hold of God, and we're praying according to His will, and He's empowered our prayers, and we're praying effectually and fervently, and that's going to be a, a move heaven. That's going to have results. That's going to be where God is pleased. And so we need to make a matter of prayer that the Lord is in our worship services, that He's in our singing, not on the outside, not as a visitor standing outside of our church looking in. Because you know, He was pictured in, in the church of Laodicea. This lukewarm church, right? He was pictured as being on the outside of that church. 
That's interesting. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. To his church. I stand at the door of my church and knock. If any man will, will answer and open, I'll come in. Isn't that something? He's at the outside and pictured as being at the outside. He says, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. And so that's his desire. That's what he wants, right? So we need to make sure not only we're saved, but that we're conscious and aware of living a life that honors God, pleases God. And if we're feeling distant from the Lord, if we're feeling like uh, we really need God, we need His presence, which we do, we need to make it a matter of prayer and fasting and call out to the Lord and say, God, we want to set you right back here where you belong. Not just in the formality of it. I'm talking about Christians, people that are really saved. And I know you've heard the example. I think it was Charles Spurgeon. I've shared it many times, and you've probably heard others share it. Charles Spurgeon, this wonderful preacher in London, and uh, he's crossing the street in the days of the horse and buggies, but it was still very busy traffic. He's crossing the street with two friends, and he's halfway across, and there's dodging horses and buggies, and he drops to his knees in the middle of the dirt street, and his friends go on and, and pass over, and they look back, and there's Spurgeon. You know, people are dodging him and going by him. And they finally, he gets up and comes to the other side. And they said, what was it, Mr. Spurgeon, that you felt you know, that you had to pray right there? He said, well, I felt that a shadow had come between me and my Lord. And he wanted to get it straight. I would say, oh, to walk with the Lord that way to where I would even notice if I'm, I'm not noticing his presence for a moment. That's a wonderful thing. It's a possible thing. It's possible for us. I know it's God's heart and desire. We've read it this whole sermon. We've seen it. But listen, men, I'm going to close with this. Men and women, even Christian men and women, can have church without Christ being the Lord of that church. People can have church and do church. And I'm not saying they're lost or saved necessarily. But saved men can have church without Jesus Christ being the Lord. Lord means Lord, right? Of that church service. Men, Christian men and women can have uh, without have singing and without the Lord inhabiting those praises. We can have uh, a church without Christ being the head of his church. We can have a church without being led by the spirit of Christ in our church and the decisions that we make. We can have uh, sing the appropriate songs. We can put money into the offering plates. We can listen to and enjoy, listen and agree with good doctrinal sermons that are correct, A to Z, and yet not have Christ be in the midst of our worship services, in our lives, in our thoughts, in our fellowship, in our praise to the Lord. Without having Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, uh, really manifesting his presence like he desires to. Let's put it that way. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that is true. So it's not that Christ is absent, but we can function without being aware of him, without him being honored the way he should, without him, uh, men seeing the Lord by faith, high and lifted up. You know what today in this, I'm looking at this group of gathering of believers here today. The one thing we all need in this whole place we need to see Jesus here this morning. And we meet tonight, Wednesday, and the next time the Lord tarries and waits and we keep meeting, we need to lift up 
our eyes and by faith see Him. We need to see Him all the time. We need to see Him every time. Not, oh, that was a good service. Some were kind of eh, and some were really good. We need to see the Lord every time we gather. Amen. We need to see Him. People can come together and hear sermons and Sunday school lessons without feasting on the bread of life. Jesus. you believe that? We can come and come and go and leave very much unchanged. And we're still saved. We still love Jesus. But He wanted to do much in us in that service. And for us and through us in our relationship with Him. We could come and, and hear a sermon and not hear God's voice. We could come in, into church without yielding to His authority. Yielding everything at these altars or wherever God leads you to pray. We can come here without loving the Lord in this particular morning, without loving the Lord, without all, all our hearts, souls, and minds, as we're told to do. Without having Jesus right in our midst. Samson, because I believe of carnality in his life and worldliness, he, the Bible says he wasn't he wished not that the Lord was departed from him. There came a point in his life where he just jumped up and he had the strength of a thousand men or whatever strength God gave him to do supernatural things. Nobody was a threat to him because God was with him. There came a point where he compromised, he compromised, he compromised, he sinned. He took what was, should have been the most valuable was that relationship with God and vowed to be a Nazarite and he trampled all over it and forgot about it. It was nothing important to him at all. And he whined like a baby and daddy and mommy get me this. I want that. And now he's living in fornication and all kinds of stuff. And, in the, and the, his enemy comes upon him. He says, I, this is no problem for me. I'll just shake myself like at other times. It says, and he wist not or knew not that the Lord was departed from him. Now, I know the Lord doesn't leave us in that sense as believers. But I tell you what, we can function and do a lot of things without the presence of God like he wants to be manifest in my heart, my life, my church, in our church services. And God doesn't want that. He wants that. Uh, he wants us to discern his presence. And I would say we have to insist upon it almost. You have to insist upon it. Like Jacob wrestling with a God, I'm not leaving here until you bless me. And I would say, I'm not leaving this altar time of this prayer time till I know in my heart, by faith, it doesn't necessarily feel in, till I know by faith I've met with you and you've met with me. I'm not just doing church. Coming and punching the time clock and going, and so that was pleasant. That was whatever. Um, we need the Lord, y'all. And we need Him. Where do we need Him? Right in our midst. We need Him right in the heart of everything. Every decision we make, every song we sing, every sermon that's preached, how I listen to the sermon, my relationships with you, your relationships with me and other believers, we need Him right in the midst. And so I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not talking about having, seeking after some kind of experience that would be unbiblical, okay, or soulish. Or I don't feel like I met with God until every hair on my head stands straight up. Okay, and I got goosebumps from my feet to my top of my head. Boy, then I know I was with God. No, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about seeking after those kinds of experience. I'm seeking, talking about seeking God in accordance to His Word, by faith, humbly waiting on God, knowing by faith He is going to reward those that diligently seek Him. He says He is. 
Okay, and so that's what I'm talking about. Now, say really to me the key scripture of today. I normally open with it, but I'm closing with it today. And I want you to to turn with me in your Bibles because I want you to see it. You know the scripture. Turn to Zephaniah chapter three, verse seventeen. Zephaniah three seventeen takes a while to find those smaller, minor prophet books, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. The Lord thy God, in the midst of thee, is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. It talks a lot about the Lord and very little about us. You know what it does say is he's in our midst. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. And I would say to you to this, to you this morning and to myself this morning, if I am not and you are not here to meet with God, to know that I met with God, to really meet with the Lord and to have Him in our midst, knowing that I've been with Him and I've been touched by Him, then what are we doing here? I love to fish. I say it all the time. I want to go fishing. So if I'm not here to meet with God, let's all go fishing. Let's all go do something else. If I'm not here to meet with God and actually have that inexperience where I know the Lord met with me, I know when I go to the altar, He's going to meet with me and so forth. I know He's feeding me through the, with the bread of life. And I want Him to. And I've asked Him to. And by faith, I'm receiving that. Or I need a new filling with the Holy Spirit. I need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I know He's going to do that. If we're not coming knowing that God is going to be in our midst and be mighty in our midst, we need to insist upon it. Nothing else and nothing less. Okay? Than that. It's His church. He's the head of his church. Let him be the head. He's the Lord thy God in the midst of his people. And he's mighty. And the Lord wants to be that. And we need to long for him. David said, and I'm closing to you, you can come up. My soul thirsts for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Had to do with him and the Lord. Not blessings, not riches, not wealth, not good health. Not, oh, I've got some enemies over here. I need you to take care of them. He prayed all those things too. But what was he longing for? My soul thirsts for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When am I going to be with Him? Where are we going to meet together? And He manifests Himself to me and reveals Himself to me and touches my life and changes me. That's what I need. As a believer, that's what I need. Certainly a lost man needs that. But that's what I need and I'm aware of it now. I've been awakened to this truth. He is the Lord God in the midst of His people. While he's playing, I just want to, uh, to read these two verses. We talked about the tabernacle in the midst of the congregation of Israel. And Moses was that man that, that God had for the, for the hour. It came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar. What did that represent? God's presence, right? The cloudy pillar descended. When Moses walked in the tabernacle, God didn't say, well, I'm out of here. When Moses walked into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. Is that not amazing? Is that not what we need? You sitting right there in that chair. You need, and I need, God to speak to me like a friend, like the God that He is, like the Lord. I want that. 
I need things from God, but also want to be with the Lord. And I want to want to be with Him more than I do. I want my desires to be holy and to change. I always pray this, y'all. I pray what David said. I pray it for my life. Lord, cause my soul to thirst for You as in a dry and weary land where no water is. I can't honestly say that I always do, but I know I should. I know it's a good thing and a blessed thing, so I'll say, Lord, help me to hunger and thirst for You and for Your righteousness. Cause my soul to thirst for You as in a dry and weary land where no water is. As the heart pants after the water brook, God, I want my heart to pant for You in that way. That my soul would thirst for the living God. When shall I come and appear before You? And so that's our prayer this morning. He's in our midst, but we've got to want Him to be in our midst. He's not left us, but I also don't want Him on the outside not going to get back in His church. I want Him to be the Lord of this service, of this altar time, of our prayer meeting tonight, of your prayer time with your family, your prayer time when you read your Bible in the morning when you wake up. The Lord to be in the midst. Insist upon it that you're meeting with God. Not punching a time clock, but meeting with the Lord. And so, Father, we come before you. These altars are open, y'all. We come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. And God, we altar call is pretty simple this morning, God. We're desiring to be with you. We're, we're ashamed of our lack of desire. We're pray that you would forgive us if we've ever done church or music or sermons or missions or anything else really just doing it by habit or functioning as humans without being led by the Spirit, without being empowered by the Spirit, without having Christ as the head of that ministry or that prayer meeting. God, we want you. We're telling you we want you to be the head of your church. We're telling you we want you to be and asking you to be the head of this church, Lord in our own lives and of every family and every individual here, God. Not only saved and going to heaven, but reconciled unto God. Walking in that fellowship with You sweeter and sweeter, deeper and deeper, more intimate day by day. We give ourselves to You. We give this church to You, Lord. The Lord thy God in the midst of Thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over Thee with joy. He will rest in His love. He will joy over Thee with singing.